0: Driving Towards Data-Driven, How to Add More Data to Your Org's Decisions. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Stephen Galsworthy, former head of data at TomTom. Obviously, giving he's no longer with the company, he was only representing his own views. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Stephen's point of view. Number one. Just because the products you sell are made from data, that doesn't mean you necessarily have a good process for leveraging data to make your products better. You need to embed information collection into how you create products, how customers interact with your offerings. If you don't, what are you going to analyze? Number two, his concept of the AI flywheel. If you can get good information on product user experience, you can feed that into AI systems that generate incremental insights to prove your user experience even more. Hopefully that generates more users, which generate even more information to improve even further. Again, that flywheel. Number three, if... Data collection on usage is not part of your business model for any number of reasons. It can be hard to convince customers and or partners to enable that data collection, even if it's simply to improve the user experience. Try to add it to your product development as early as possible. Number four, if your organization is data hesitant, look for existing success stories from data. Look for something that couldn't have happened without the data, and then share that success internally to drum up more interest. Number five, potentially controversial. Data should rarely be the deciding factor. Data should be a touch point that can strongly inform or or usually more just give clarity. Use it for giving clarity or measuring as you iterate. Help execs understand that it's not magic and that it's not all right or wrong. It's just some information that helps you understand what's going on. Number six, it's easy to trust data when it confirms your intuition. How do you use it when it doesn't? How much credence should you give the data? Number seven, potentially controversial. High-performing companies tend to be those that use data to help make adjustments to their product strategy, using it as a tight feedback loop. It's not as though the data decides, but it constantly informs and kind of confirms what you were thinking. And yes, not absolute confirmation and all that. You know, the data can never confirm a hypothesis. Number eight, don't fall into the trap of collecting all the data you can. We've talked about this multiple times, but but do think about what you could do if you had additional data. What might that inform? Work ahead. You don't get past data the day you start to say we should be collecting this data. Number nine, there is a big difference between producing data and producing data as a product. But if we don't incentivize and assist teams to produce data as a product, few will, and then your data practices will remain fragile and not scalable and all sorts of other bad words. Number 10, data producers need to be able to understand who has taken a dependency on their data, but it's too hard in general right now for them to understand. Better technology offerings here can help. Number 11, a great, possibly the best incentive for a team to produce their data as a product is what their data consumers can provide back to them in the form of insights. How can a team managing an app get more insight to improve their app by sharing their data? That's a cohesive org-wide data practice instead of domains only focusing on themselves. Now, Steven did talk about in some very large organizations, that feedback loop is way, way, way too long. So figure out how to shorten it. Figure out how, you know, an immediate consumer or two consumers down the line can start to provide value back instead of, oh, this has to go through (laughs) 12 different orgs uh, processing through your data before you're going to get useful insights back. Number 12 In production, uh, you know, kind of quote unquote in production should not be seen as the end goal, right? Or the key goal. That's a project mindset. In production just means the start of a new phase for your data product. Number 13, to get a team to data driven, find a data ambassador within a team, right? And if there isn't one, if there isn't somebody that's really excited about dealing with data, deploy one into that team. Really encourage someone to be the lead for wrangling their data. Work to develop a passion for data in someone in the team to spread to the rest of the team. You know, personal note here, staying away from infectious analogies, but think that way, right? (laughs) You want somebody who is spreading the love of data and getting more people on board. Number 14, and finally, the most data-driven teams have a mindset of always be experimenting. It's not about being right at the start. It's about constantly trying, learning, and getting better. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got uh, Stephen Galsworthy here, who is uh, previously head of data at TomTom. Um, he's, uh, you know, especially with previously only representing his own views, he is going to be starting a uh, very exciting new role in, in the near future, maybe even when this comes out. But uh, I'll say just to go check out his LinkedIn to see what he's doing now. But um, So what we're going to be covering is we're going to be talking about, you know, kind of what is the whole point of doing data mesh and data in general? Like how do we actually move past the we're doing data work to how do we leverage data to actually move us forward? like stop doing analytics for the sake of analytics, like how do we actually transform and inform our decisions? And then we're also going to talk about something that's come up a lot of like teams are using their own data to drive themselves forward. but like, we're now asking them to do it so that they're driving the rest of the organization forward. How do we prioritize that? How do we actually work with them to make that something that's, you know, that they're incented to do rather than just go, you now have this uh, additional mandate. Here's my, the, the stick I'm going to use. So go do it. And so, um, you know, very, I think we're going to talk uh, in a lot of specifics and stuff, but I think a high level of like, why are we doing the thing? <laughs> Which a lot of times the conversations lose sight of. So before we we get to that, um, Stephen, if you don't mind, if you could give a bit of an introduction to yourself and then we can jump into the conversation at hand.
1: Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, th- thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, so yeah, my, my name's uh, Stephen. Um, I have a, a background in, in mathematics and data science. I, I've Typically, been working in in teams and uh, companies for for a number of years that have really been specialising in taking interesting, unique data sets with some kind of real world meaning, uh, deploying, uh, developing, and deploying complex algorithms on top of those data sets to create innovative products and then launch them at scale. I spent roughly a decade in the in the energy sector, uh, working on things such as. Uh, reducing uh, energy wastage in homes or optimizing the uh, the, the grid network. Um, latterly, I've uh, worked at, at TomTom, um, a company known for for making maps and navigation products. And shortly, I'll be starting a new role where I hope to, to get my get my hands uh, in a lot of uh, depth with uh, satellite uh, imagery data and building some very uh, interesting insight products on top of that.
0: Yeah, awesome, and I think kind of what you talked about of, of like putting things into real world usage and also selling data externally, right? Like that's what, what a lot of this Mm -hmm. is about as well from your, your history. I think it gives you the the multiple perspectives on this. So let's talk about that, uh, you know, general concept of where so many companies, you know, even talking to purchasers of the data that you were (laughs) putting, helping put together and things like that where so many companies are are focused in the what and not the why. And like, why are we actually doing this? How do we, we, we feel like we have to do data because everyone's telling us data is the new oil instead of, uh, you know, how do, how do you kind of focus on making sure the data work ties to actual outcomes? And then we can get into how do you actually convince people to <laughs> actually use the data to do their outcomes, not just say, this is what the mm-hmm. outcomes should be.
1: Yeah, I, I think sort of the uh, common theme of organizations I've worked in is they've um, had a lot of focus on really building data-powered products. So that being a uh, basically some product that has um, is, is got a, an algorithm really at the, at the core of it. That means that there often comes a lot of uh, maturity within the organization focused around the creation of these, these products Often that comes on the flip side with a little bit less maturity around actually using data to make informed decisions within the organisation. So you've, you it's, it's often the contrast um, that you've got a, an organisation that's really set up the, the main products that they are producing are essentially data products at heart. I mean, if you. Um, uh, look at something like a, a smart thermostat device that's sending a lot of I, IoT data. I mean, what what you're essentially uh, providing is a, a data product, creating a map. For example, a map in, in its uh, bare essence is a, a very intricate but a, a data product uh, at heart. So So on one hand, you've got this kind of real focus on a, a sort of a product mindset you've got data really running through the veins of the of the company but often that there, there's still a a struggle to use that data not only to create a new product but to to iterate it upon and improve that product using sort of some of the the more typical uh, analytical uh, approaches we'd like to see
0: yeah i think that's a really interesting insight about um <laughs> Uh, what data do you get about your data product, right? Like what what is that? And that can be internal or external, but like mm-hmm. how are your customers actually using that? Do you, Are they willing to share with you their usage data because it's so important to understand what, like where is there the market for additional information that you want to be adding, whether that's a new data product or or, or expanding that. When you've been working in that type of an organization, how did you start to have those conversations around, hey, I know we're packaging information, but like we should be using it ourselves? Like, how do you start to have that conversation around, we're not driving ourselves with our, you know, and maybe the data that you're bringing in or that you're creating isn't that useful for yourself, right? So, how do you start to say, we need to start creating this other data that isn't actually part of the product. And so that's not the wheelhouse and that's not that's not what we do about data. We create data to sell data and you're asking us to create data to be better in how we create data.
1: Yeah, I, I think sort of the, the key concept that underpins a lot of these data powered products is you... To be successful in that, you need to set up some kind of data flywheel, uh, sometimes known particularly for AI products as sort of the virtuous cycle of AI. That's essentially the, the concept that you've, you, you start with some data that's being produced by some users, you'll be able to create uh, some kind of algorithm that's trained upon that data. You then sort of unleash that, that allows you to improve the, uh, the core product or the product experience that ultimately hopefully that means your, your product becomes more successful, you get more users, that gives you more data. Um, you can use that data to train better algorithms that then improves the experience, and you start getting into this this loop that goes around where the, the data is not only a a part of the product, but it's what allows you to get better at what you're doing. Um, obviously, in, in, in some industries, this is uh, one the company you're working for controls all parts of that of that feedback loop but in many organizations the business model is is B2B or B2B to C even where you're you need to work with your your customers and partners to be able to access that data to then to allow you to provide an enriched experience uh, across the board uh, that's a that's often a difficult conversation to have with partners. Um, take, take for example, I, I I worked at a company called Qbi uh, that was developing a, a smart thermostat product. So it was essentially allowing people to control uh, the, the heating systems within their homes. This was sold via a an energy utility. So the the customers of my uh, company's technology, Were customers of an energy utility. They didn't have a direct contractual relationship with the technology provider. But everyone is um, so all parties want to improve the product experience, but it's not a simple matter of um, just handing over that customer relationship to this, you know, this, you know, you've got this kind of crazy tech startup that's trying to do something with IoT data, and you've got this larger I'd say more traditional organization that is uh, very much focused on uh, its customer satisfaction uh, essentially an energy utility is is very good at marketing its services and um, and billing people for those services that's that's at the core that's kind of the, the primary skills of a of an energy utility uh, particularly the ones that don't generate their own their own power they're, they're really there as that that middleman. So they're not going to want to hand that over to a to a tech startup, um, but from that position of the the tech startup, you need access to these customers to be able to understand, okay, what do they need? We've we've just released this this new product feature. Are people experiencing in the right way? I mean, how 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 do you get that uh, that feedback loop and that that information flowing back again? So I think that's that's a really important part of. Of getting that data because it's not just it's not just uh, zeros and ones. You're talking in terms of this data has true meaning. It's what allows you to connect to the the customers, or the the end users of the products you're creating.
0: I think a lot of what you're talking there is is data as a product, right? It's it's the life cycle of production of data. It's not just analyzing what you've got. It's okay if we want to improve our product. We have to have a way to generate the information flow that allows us to improve our product, and so it is that virtuous cycle. But you're kind of kicking it off very specifically and saying, "Hey, the way that we interact." I, I think this is why SaaS and, and things like that are, are you know, eating the world and you know, software eating the world. But SaaS specifically, um, because you have that by default you have the ability to see how people are using it what what you know what are all the trends the what's kind of going to signal churn what's going to signal a big upsell what what are all these different things and so the more of that data that you're able to generate the better and even if it's not part of the product in and of itself when you are selling that information externally how how have you had those conversations though with people where that isn't their traditional business model, right? A lot of people, even you think about generating data for external sale, but in a lot of other organizations as well, you have execs that have gotten by on being very good at execution and on um, understanding how things work rather than on the data. So like, how do you help them flip that switch to actually inform their decisions, whether that's to make sure that they create the data or actually inform themselves once they have that that usage <laughs> data.
1: I it, it's difficult to, to to flip that switch just to, to go sort of from from one day to the next, that so they suddenly, okay, now, now we need the now we need the data. I, I think that so the cases that I've seen that's been most successful as you you have some kind of example within an organisation that someone's tried something, and data has been kind of that trigger that's allowed something something new to happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So that that can be the the creation of a entirely new products, or it can be something as okay, we wanted to try to make a decision between do we do we go for option A on this, option B. And we've used data to make a, a more informed decision. I, I think essentially at the, at, at that decision making level within the organisation, your it's really building up trust uh, of using data as a as a way of making a more informed decision. I I tend to I, I've I've worked with a lot of um, executives. Um, and sort of convincing them of the role of data it's not that you can just okay turn to your data scientists they do some fancy um fancy analysis and you've got a very clear answer but it gives you another another touch point um uh, on, on a on a particular decision to make i think the key thing it really unlocks for you is the ability to to experiment and experiment quickly so particularly when you're talking in terms of creating uh, data-powered products, what you often find there is like uh, no one has the intuition to fully define what that product will look like. Um, so what the, the best products are going to be created by the companies that are able to iterate most quickly. And the data flow coming back is one of those things that allows you, okay, we, we've put an experiment out there. It could be a, something as simple as uh, an a b test and you're just you're going okay yep the the uh, the direction that we need to go in is a little bit more in this direction let's try it out and equally important if you try something you can have a room of 10 people that everyone thinks it's a great idea if you get it in front of customers or end users and they they're just not they're not they're not feeling it they're responding it to in a different way that that gives you such uh, immense information that you can you can start to start to steer differently
0: well and and quickly right like that it's not uh quickly indeed um and, and one thing that that i don't think you used the, the words in there but i i sensed what you were talking about of building trust uh that you know data is going to be that using data is going to drive better results but also that desire that desire to use data right it's not just that you can trust it it's that there is a desire that this is you you started to talk about that of what can it unlock and going and talking to those those people and saying there is this is that incremental this is where it, it enables you to do this thing that you couldn't it enables you to um figure things out and and one thing Somebody mentioned recently was was uh, FIfo uh, or was it foFO fear of figuring out um, which is relitigating past decisions with data and that you have to be able to have somebody has the trust that you're not going to say you made bad decisions in the past versus is it a good decision to continue go going forward? And that, that is a real legit concern because if I'm going to do this thing and it's going to look through everything and say, did I make a bad decision historically, you know, you've got hindsight. Great. Like, yes, this other thing would have been great, but you know, it's kind of like, you know, Blockbuster made a bunch of silly decisions, you know, in in the whole thing with Netflix and all that. But you know, was each one of those decisions a bad decision or did they kind of add up to it? And like, we don't know what they were looking at. We don't know if they didn't have the data or the data was was telling them something or whatever, but if they had had the data, they probably would have seen the writing on the wall much quicker and, and pivoted much better. But, you know, it's still also hard to say these people made really dumb decisions when we know what happened instead of we know what they're they're able of of to understand in that moment
1: yeah i think you've hit on a, an important point there it's it's not so much your uh, necessarily your your belief in in using data it's it's actually whether you use it when when it when it comes down to it are you using data to help you make more informed decisions or are you sort of reverting back to that that default of okay, let's just follow our intuition on this one. And most organizations have been incredibly successful of getting to where they are at this moment in time by using that intuition, following that. The people, mo- most leaders within an organization have, have got to their, their position because they've, they've followed intuition. They're probably combined with, with luck. History, things have worked out over a, a period of time. So you, you can you can keep going in that direction. I think there's a, a real sort of yeah, yeah strong sort of human incentive to to kind of push in that direction. I think that's, that's really important. That's why I think it's very important that you frame sort of the, the involvement of data as making a more informed decision rather than there's very few business decisions that you can completely. Um, rely on the data either the the data is is not clear but most of the time it's the the problem formulation itself you know it's 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 a little bit fuzzy and you you need that expertise in um, in in the knowledge of the business itself to be able to put that in the right context so it's it's using data to make a more informed decision rather than handing it over. It's, it's not like using a, it's not just a calculator that it's You're going to ask the computer uh, the answer and it's going to say, yeah, this, this, this is exactly what you should do it. But it's, you should have a little bit more trust in the fact that you're informed of the consequences of the decision.
0: The human in the loop is is smarter on this. And, and, and I think, Um, that is like, I, I data-driven decision, that phrase to me, it's like, did the data make the decision or did the human like that? I do. I like data informed more than data driven. You know, I, we can get into semantics and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I I think that are you actually using it is really, really important. And, and one thing that's kind of come up recently in, in my mind is Execution eats strategy for breakfast. And so how do we start to think about data informing the execution, not just the strategy? Because if if you can out execute somebody, then do you really care as much about the strategy and or can you just rely on on intuition? And like, I'm not asking you to, to answer this and be like, you know, you have it all figured out, but like, how do you think about that? Like, we can use the data to execute better. Is it that showing them the experimentation? Is it the showing them the that rather than, you know it's about making these huge strategic decisions? It's also about these kind of day to- day course corrections and, and being better in that way.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think a, a good example of that is working with uh, individual product teams. And there's sort of a, a maturity journey that you can go through of how you're using data in your sort of product analytics. So you, you start in a situation where you essentially, you have no data. You're, you're not using data at all. The first step, you need to just start collecting data if you don't have it already. Once you start collecting data, you can... You can have someone that was doing a little bit more uh, data analysis that can be a a defined role of a data analyst or data scientist uh, within a team but it can just be a uh, a software engineer or a product manager uh, looking into into data to analyze some some user trends from then onwards you you want to take those steps towards doing getting towards a situation where you can do faster experimentation um, so you want to be able to have the, the infrastructure in place that you can collect data, that you can um, set up something like an A-B test so you can release uh, uh, option, option A of an app, option B of, a, of an app or even a, a small feature. And then you want to be able to collect that quickly, be able to do the analysis. That will start with a, a data, data analyst doing that work as time moves on, the, the team gets more comfortable. You're going to uh, have more sort of this democratization uh, of data access. That means that the uh, the product manager or, or the, the software engineers can themselves very quickly create a dashboard on, on a new feature, understand uh, what's going on. Look a little bit more of the the trends of usage over time, and your your data analyst or data scientist can then really focus on setting up scientifically rigorous experiments, or they can concentrate perhaps more on the the advanced analysis. So you see this sort of maturity trend over time. Um, And that can be really helpful for Yeah, then sort of making these decisions at sort of the micro level within an organization. So as you say, a lot more focused on execution, using data on a daily basis by individuals and small teams. That will cascade up to the the strategy level of an organization as well. Uh, This means that you can iteratively move very quickly uh, across the whole org.
0: And and one thing that I think has come through in, in a couple of different of your answers is within the company at the micro level and not at just trying to do this as if every domain needs to do this at the same point versus building that momentum, building that desire where you went and you worked with this domain and they had a big win. And then you tout that to everybody. And then the other domains want to follow suit, but that you don't say, I'm going to do this with everybody and again it's not that switch you flip and and so I would I would like to to hear a little bit about how you also do think about what data to collect because there is kind of this I need to collect all the data I need to store all the data I need to do all of this stuff which is you know is can be harmful but at the same point you do need to to figure out what data will be useful, or what data do you think will be useful, and start collecting it because when you want to actually analyze it, it's not as if okay, we just need the last days of data; we need the last few months to make an actual informed decision.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I've been fortunate in a sense of the organisations I've worked in have typically had some, ultimately, some kind of hardware product, some kind of IoT or, or sensor sensor product where you, you have quite a, a strong cost of data acquisition in the first place. So this could be, a, to give an example from TomTom, Tom, uh, acquiring data from uh, connected vehicles that are driving around. To be able to get that data into the cloud, you're essentially uh, someone in that chain needs to pay for the, for the usage of the, the cellular network. So there needs to be a, a SIM card or equivalent in, in a vehicle, and you need to pay for that usage. So you're you need in that context. You're always very critical of exactly what data to to collect. You don't want to. It, it it's different in that sense from a say a website, for example, where you you could just literally collect everything, like the, you know, the exact mouse position of every user or something. You know, you, you can start you can start dreaming of the, the, the immense amount of detail that you could collect. So that, that in the organizations I've been in, there's always been a little bit of a forcing function to collect as little data as possible. Um, so through that lens, you're, it, it's typically been the sort of the, the the data science teams that are saying, okay, well, actually, if you were able to collect this data on top, um, and we were able to build up maybe a few months of, of this data, then you can... You can look into okay, make sort of a an indication of okay, this could unlock this potential new feature if we collect this data from a, a certain type of vehicle that's driving around. Maybe we can use that to um, uh, to, to help drivers uh, optimize their optimize their their routing in a in a specific way. Um, so I, I think that's that's a strong way of um, Uh, persuading people uh, of what data to collect is give them an indication of the products that that could could unlock, because the products is always very, um, it's quite concrete, you you can put it in terms of what would be the benefit for for an end user. There's other types of data that have huge benefit, potential benefit for decision making. But there's always going to be a bit of an inherent risk. That until you've got data scientists that are actually looking at that real data coming from the organization, you can't give a hundred percent guarantee that there is going to be that that true value coming from it. That it will improve the the insight that you could obtain. So you you need to sometimes take a risk uh, on that. Uh, and when I, when I say a risk, I mean you you need to to perhaps pay to collect that data. You also need to be incredibly sensitive towards the the, the source of that data. Is, is that uh, end user uh, data about the the location of of uh, uh, vehicles in real time? You know, so, something like that. You need to give a lot of consideration to. If, for example, it's it's just where do people click within my app? That data, generally speaking, is 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 less less sensitive.
0: Yeah. Well, and a lot of what you're talking there is, is if we can only make safe, safe bets, then those generally aren't, you know, you've already taken care of the low-hanging fruit in a lot of cases. So you're not mm-hmm. going to end up with <laughs> the big values and the big, like, Hey, we we, if, and if you can't make a bet that doesn't pay off, then you're not making a bet, right? That's not what the definition of a bet is. And so you have to be able to figure out how to limit your blast radius, you know, you spend a, you know, you're a company that's doing, you know, a hundred million dollars of revenue in in a year. And you're like, I'm going to make this bet and it's going to be a million dollar bet. And, you know, we don't really know whether it's going to pay off or not. That's a pretty big thing versus, Hey, we're going to start collecting this and we're going to iterate towards that value. We're going to start with a $10,000 or whatever, you know, um, the the numbers always kind of get a little fuzzy with math and stuff like that. But, um, so I, I did want to transition into a lot of what you're saying here is is also about you know the specific you know the comp at the company level and that we have this challenge in data mesh and in not in data mesh about teams using their own data and being really really cognizant of their data and and Chris um, at uh, and Dava had mentioned uh, that. One thing that he sees is that data is kind of embedded in an application for that team, so they're not even seeing the same data as somebody else, right? They're seeing it with context that is not that is absence when they try and actually share it with someone else. But like, how do you start to think about working with teams to get them to see that bigger organizational picture? And how how have you found incenting them? Works because it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. If I do this thing, it'll really help out that team, but that doesn't help me out in the end of the day. And yes, I wish we were all kumbaya, but if, if that's not my KPI and I spend a bunch of time helping you out and I miss my KPI, that's a net negative for me, not a net neutral. And so like, how do I get it so that I could actually do that at a, at an organizational level? So big, big question, but like, how do you start to think about that conversation when somebody brings that up?
1: Yeah, it's um, I I think a lot of the time you find in in, in larger organisations that you uh, at the sort of that micro team level you you have perhaps the the team have this huge amount of uh, very specific domain knowledge around the data that maybe they're even they're collecting some of that data or they're uh, they're, they're they're producing some of it they they've um, they're creating some. No, it's it's maybe a byproduct uh, of something else. They really understand that data inside out. What is often the case is they don't. That team doesn't know downstream in the organization who is using that data or not. We would, you'd love it um, if you would be able to map that out. But often in in organizations when they reach a certain scale, you just don't have a clear view of. Who was using it when? Um, I, I think that's a slightly side topic, but that that is something that's improving. There's there's some technology solutions around it to make it a little bit more uh, easy to track track these things at scale. But just understanding dependencies within teams, be, between teams, is not a not a given um, in organisations. I think the other thing that's important there is the the difference between producing data and producing a data product. Um, I think you know, a lot of the time you just have data flying around that people will pick up and use uh, as they like, but if a team is creating a data product, it it has a, a few more guarantees that go with it. There's some guarantee of uh, availability of the data, there's some guarantee of the quality of that data, but that's something that takes, that takes effort, that takes engineering time, to be able to to maintain that that quality and that that availability there may even be some uh, uh, some metrics that they're going to define that um very specifically so the end users um the internal end users of that data uh, know what to know what to expect so you've got sort of this broad setup that there's multiple teams, no one's exactly sure of who's consuming the data that they're producing. They There is a sort of an inbuilt reluctance to move towards a data product because it requires engineering effort to wrap that up nicely in a product, you know, because um, that effort could well be used for creating a new feature, reducing... Um, yeah, reducing some uh, tech debt. You know, there's, there's a long list of things that could be done instead of that. And uh, typically, if a team is moving towards developing a data product from their data, the biggest beneficiaries of that are not going to be that team themselves. It's going to be those other teams within the organisation or the consumers of that data product or the users of that data product. So that's. Um, you sometimes get a mismatch of um incentives um strategies that i've seen to um to take a step beyond that um one is 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 a clearer understanding of interdependencies between between teams particularly if you're looking at uh, an organization take a uh, an organization that their, that their main product is some very elaborate, um, data powered products. Um, so from my, my recent experience at TomTom, you know, creating a map of the world is, is an incredibly computationally intensive process requiring many, many teams, each producing, uh, subsets of data that are sort of going from everything from the, the raw sensors of, um, uh, vehicles perhaps driving around, detecting that there's a there's, there's a road in place all the way through towards producing a map from that and then creating products on top, uh, navigational products on top of that base map. You know, there's, there's a lot a lot of complexity there. So it's so understanding how those things are linked together is important. Um, then it's empowering those teams to be able to easily create a, a sort of Interchangeable and reusable data products. I think that comes with some sort of technology prerequisites. It's um, it's certainly a lot easier if all of that data is residing on the on the same cloud. Um, it's not impossible to do if, if you've um, got multi multi cloud in place within an organization, but it makes it a lot easier if you say, okay, for example everything's going to be on on the azure stack and you define the the kind of uh, interfaces that will be re, uh, be required the, the type of api that you'd you'd want to have to, to access that data product and then by you can you can shift towards more of a cookie cutter uh, approach of scaling up that that data product the worst thing that you can do is allow each of those 100 teams within the organization the complete freedom of defining their technology stack and way of interfacing with a data product because you will end up with 100 completely different options.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think just providing easy buttons and providing it where, you know, 80 90% of the time, this covers it or this mostly covers it, like just use what we've got and that you don't say you must use what we've got, but if if you have something that's out of the norm, come talk to us and we'll we'll figure it out. But yeah, exactly. Like there's no added benefit. There's significant cost to not doing it. That
1: exactly. Way. Yeah, I think that's where where sort of platform teams within an organization can really make a big difference of just providing something that works for the sort of 80%, 90% of the time. If you've it's basically try this out first. If it really doesn't work, feel free, go, go whichever way you need technology to be able to move quickly. But this is a basis, a strong basis to start from.
0: What? So a couple of things that you mentioned earlier as well is something that I've, I've brought up of like, um, data producers can't care about their consumers because they literally don't have the information flow to actually care about the downstream consumers. And so like, how do we, how do we do that? But, um, When you're trying to go in and have a conversation with a producer, like what do you think is the way to to best buy them in? Is it just to go for the incentives? Is it to give them the capabilities to do this? And if they have the capabilities to do it relatively easily, they'll do it as long as they're, you know, somewhat incented, or is it like how have you found getting over that hurdle because this is that buy-in hurdle that a lot of people really, really struggle with. And I think a lot of people go for stick instead of carrot, but it's hard to figure out a scalable carrot (laughs) to get these teams to produce data in such a way that others can consume it. And that fits into the broader scale of, of the organization's data.
1: I, I think the best kind of carrot that I've seen in this context is, um, Related to that, that sort of that feedback loop, that that flywheel uh, effect, because you have a a team very early in sort of the the flow of of data through an organisation that's 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 creating some information that's being consumed by by seven teams following that, and that's eventually going to make something that's uh, I know it's it's an app or a website or an API that goes to an external external customer from that external customer is where you want to get that feedback to improve things that that uh, useful insight can also be incredibly valuable to that first team that's creating the first bit of information in the chain so that could for example be a team that's uh, in the mapping uh, example that could be a team that's extracting um locations of of buildings from satellite data you know they um uh, to be able to understand whether they've been able to detect that the, the hospital is exactly at that location and this is where the entry point to the hospital car park is. The only way they're going to fully get that that feedback through is by getting um, uh, data from, from end customers, from people actually driving around and using the product. What that means is... Uh, so a, a good incentive, a good a good carrot there is is defining clearly uh, the end product that, that you're creating, and, and what I've seen work relatively effectively is defining sort of OKRs, so objectives and key results on a, on a company level, of really getting teams to focus on the larger scale flywheels and loops that will. Um, will enable the organization to, to learn quicker. Um, that does need to be really from, from the top of the organization down, really making that clear because otherwise for each of those constituent parts of the, of these data teams, creating data products, you know, there's, there's not a strong incentive otherwise. So if you that's, that's the carrot event, I, I think it always needs to be combined with some kind of, some kind of stick you know, of getting people to to make that transition from producing data to producing data products that often needs to come with, you know, you need to, to encourage people to move swiftly in that direction.
0: Well, and give them the capabilities. I think this is the big thing is that a lot of times people are just handing over the ownership and not giving them the those domains, the capability, and or the incentive, and they just go. You now have it. One thing that you said in there that I thought was that you're kind of circling around, but I don't. I, that I think could be really interesting as well is if you're trying to get data from a team, then you want to go to them and say, "Let's talk about what use cases could be useful from that data, because the rest of the organization needs that data." But let's talk about how your use case of that data plus another domain's data would be very usable to you. So let's start with you and talk about that. And that like, if you've got that kind of reluctant domain, that's, that's, you go, okay, well, we're going to start with the benefit to you, even though we're asking you to participate in this broader or, you know, organization wide thing, we're going to start with that benefit to you because we need to make, you know, a, a lot of times, um, People come on and they say the first uh, consumer for a data product should be the domain that's creating it. But in a lot of cases, they've already kind of done that if they're in a, a highly data literate domain. If they aren't, then giving them that capability does transform the domain. But if they already are like, we already use our own data exactly how we want to use our own data, then that isn't really an option. And so then you start to say, okay, how do I incent them? And it can't just, I think that of okay, we're going to incent you by saying, we're going to focus on your use case first. There are other use cases that want your data, but let's build a reusable data product around this data because other people need it, but like, let's make sure that it serves a use case for you first. I think that's a, a kind of an interesting approach. It's not going to be universal because it's not going to always be that you can find that,
1: but yeah I agree uh, if you can find that that use case that has immediate benefit for the well for essentially for the for the team that's going to have to put in the hard work to to get that data um, uh, available that makes things go a lot a lot smoother. I, I've seen that work uh, work very well. I've also seen the situation where you're you're talking in terms of such big loops and chains within an organization. It's just it's impossible to pinpoint that exact use case that is going to provide that immediate value. And you just need to have a culture within the organization that yeah, how to say, if another team wins, me from within my team, I also feel that I'm winning. So you need to have this uh, collaborative um, environment rather than competitive for that to, to really um, to, to to grow.
0: Easier said than done in a lot of organizations where they are, but yeah, I think it's also that you then say, okay, we need this in the long run, but let's find some short short term like quicker wins and get them kind of maybe in the habit of this as we try and serve these huge, huge ones, but yeah, it's, it's always, there's no, there's no silver bullet. I want you to wave your magic wand, but apparently you're, you're, you, you left that in another room. You don't have the (laughs) ability to just.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what keeps us busy every day. Right. Um, Organizations are full of, uh, full of humans. And that's, that's what makes it a, a interesting job to do.
0: Otherwise, the data could make the decisions instead of the human in the loop. So, what, one thing that you had talked about in the the pre call, and I, I like this analogy, is is kind of thinking of your data and data products like gardening, right? Like a lot of people are thinking that data of data kind of in a projects style. Like, how have you found working with teams to get them to go? Yes, you produce this thing, but like you have to actually treat it like a product. You have to continue to produce it. You have to continue to actually, uh, you know, approach it in such a way that you're not going to be, um, uh, you know, kind of causing those downstream dependencies to have continuous problems. Like, how have you found teaching someone that mindset shift? Because historically, they have just kind of spewed off data and just said, "eh, whatever, or they've worked on a project and then it's done, I can now move on. Like, how are you finding that working?
1: Yeah, I've, I've seen that a lot in the the past, particularly with sort of data science teams that there was, I'd say particularly sort of a, a few years back, there was this real strive of getting a data science project into production. And there were feeling of, okay, it's it's in production now, let's go on and do the next thing. Like, in production is is not the end. It's it's really just the, the beginning of the next phase. And the you need to have the, the mindset and the capabilities within the team of being able to support that that ongoing environment. You know, the things in production will the data will change, things will break, there will be new customer requirements, it's it's something that needs to be Uh, to have as much automated monitoring in place as possible. You know, there's so much you need to do. You really need to have that kind of, that DevOps or that MLOps uh, mindset in place uh, um, to really thrive. And that in, I think, in sort of its real sort of human essence, there's a huge difference between sort of creating new products and new functionality and maintaining and iterating upon existing um, uh, functionality, and quite often that is involves very different mindsets within the in, in, within the individuals that thrive in those different environments. So it's it's really an evolution of teams when they when they get to that stage um, to be able to maintain that uh, innovative nature as well as this ability to maintain uh, to maintain data products or products in general that that other uh, teams or other uh, end users are, are reliant upon
0: hmm. yeah i think yeah it's it's uh, again it's it's one of those of mindset shift is probably the toughest right we it, we don't have the technology we don't have all that stuff ready for teams but getting them into that like How can they be focused so much on the innovation is really, it's difficult. And, and, you know, we talked in the pre-call about the kind of being proactive, like how, how easy have you, is, is it again, getting people to see the single use case? Is that what's worked for you? Is that like getting that mindset shift is it you kind of have to hold their hand or can you just say this other team did it and here's the the roadmap to do it or like cuz a lot of people out there are really just struggling with you know maybe one or two domains where it's really <laughs> a complication
1: what i've seen work really well in in that in that case is you need within a team sort of a a data ambassador that can be a a data scientist that belongs to a, a more sort of centralized unit that is kind of uh, uh, parachuted in or deployed to that team in, in a long-term basis to, to support them in their in their growth. It can also just, uh, it can be an enthusiastic team member. Uh, good examples I've seen of okay, a, a very highly data-driven product manager, who's who's really driving the team of, in those daily conversations going, okay, but what does the data have to say about this? You know, and, and asking and probing people, it, it can be. Uh, uh, I, I've seen teams where that 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 sort of data ambassador role has come from a software engineer, where it's come from a a UX designer. You know, where it's it's. I, I think it makes a huge difference when you're, when teams are engaging with each other on a on a daily and weekly basis that there's, that they're being triggered to. To take those next steps in adopting a data-driven approach or a data-informed approach. Um, because it's not something you can think about once a quarter. It's not something that you will do just because your, your CEO or CTO has, has talked about it in the in the all-hands. You you need to have that a combination of real sort of domain knowledge, understanding the end user problem, understanding the product that you're trying to create and using using data to to make the, the smaller decisions easier. So that that's where I've already seen things most most effectively change. Um and that does require proactivity. It typically requires individuals that are, are passionate about using, uh, using data to make a transformation within the company. And the, the good news is there's, there's many, uh, many hundreds of people that I've worked with that are really passionate about it. They've seen what can be done uh, in other organizations they've worked at you know, they want to bring that level of of energy and insight into the, into the organization where they they currently have a role.
0: And one thing that I'm taking away from a couple of things you said throughout the episode, but especially there of like making it easier to make the small decisions um, easier, right? Like that, data doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to swing for the fences at all times, especially as you're getting going, right? You'll get better and better. And then you aren't, you know, doing what would have been a massive scale, you know, very risky project is is something that ends up being kind of ho-hum. And, and you can say, okay, well, we're going to start, collect, we're going to collect this data. We're going to analyze this data and do kind of a a down and dirty um, type of thing. And, oh, nope, the data is not telling us anything incremental, so we're going to stop collecting it. And that you can get to that pretty quick and that you can get to that, but that you're not trying to start with, you know, the, the thing that a lot of people make mistakes with is starting with their, especially if you're not in this mode already, is starting with your biggest challenges. You have to learn how to do this before you can do it well, and you don't learn by doing with, you know, with live ammo. You don't learn by doing when there is a ton of risk to it, a ton of economic risk, a ton of of, mm-hmm. of potential for if this goes sideways, you are <laughs> it's going to be way worse than not have do, done, done it at all. Instead of eh, we learned something incremental, it didn't work out. We made a bet, it didn't pay off, and we move on to the next.
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing to get is there sort of the experience of using data and just being able to build up that speed, that ability to iterate quickly is its what becomes, I would say, the most important factor of, um, of innovation within, within a company going forward is how quickly you can iterate and how quickly you can learn. Um, that means that essentially, yeah... Yeah, the role of the role of data becomes particularly important in, in the in those in that early stage.
0: Yeah, well, and, and that it uh, again, I think what you're, you're saying is that it we can't put too much pressure on the the data itself, and we can't put too much pressure on if this one thing isn't correct, then you know we don't we're not a data driven company because we put all of our eggs in one basket, and just like. Finding ways to incrementally improve as you're trying to get to that. Like you don't change culture with a memo. You don't change culture overnight.
1: Exactly. So I, I've seen if you really take it down to the the team level, you know, if if you want to encourage teams of doing experiments, don't don't start with the the biggest thing that your your major customer is asking for. Try something that is, you know. Interesting to learn the answer to, but relatively insignificant if everything just, just doesn't work out. You know, just just try it out. It's much more important to, to learn how to do the process of of doing an experiment, of getting insight from data, than it is the sort of the the, the directly attributable revenue that you can cut from doing that first experiment. You, you need to you need to learn how to walk first of all, and, and then the, the speed will come later. So it's it's all about learning to get that uh, that speed um, and that, that trust and mindset within the team of leaning upon data more than was previously done.
0: Yeah. In, inherent trust in data. We don't have it at all. Nobody trusts the data. Everyone's like... Hop. How is this created? What's the you know like you you don't just inherently find data and you trust it and and you shouldn't even in in a high trust organization but but getting there is is so important. Well, um, Stephen, we've we've covered a whole bunch of different stuff in in this conversation. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you would have liked to, or any way you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode?
1: No, I think we we covered a lot of a lot of good things. It's it's always good to. uh... To have these conversations, it also helps me to reflect back on my experiences as well. So really enjoyed the chat, Scott.
0: Yeah, me too. And and, and I'm sure other people would love to chat with you as well. Uh, so you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who'd like to follow up. What's the best place to follow up? What, do you have anything specific you'd like them following up about?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, for, for anyone who I'm, uh, listening who's interested to follow up, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's the, the best place to, to reach me. Happy to have any conversations around uh, data-powered products, data-informed decision making, data mesh in, in in general, particularly machine learning and AI, um, particularly with uh, some of the changes we're seeing, um, uh, yeah, coming in coming in these months uh, right now. Um, yeah, and keep an eye on my my LinkedIn to 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 follow me in my in my next challenges.
0: <laughs> awesome. And we'll drop uh, a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. But uh, Stephen, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, thank you of everyone out there as well for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Stephen Galsworthy, former head of data at TomTom. You can find a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes, Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. (laughs)